Welcome back to episode 19 of the Tough Love Podcast. Today we'll be speaking to Carlos Katie Rehais about his adoption experience. I was adopted um, internationally from Peru when I was 18 months old and moved to Golden, Colorado. And I've been living there in the area ever since. Um, currently almost 40 years old this year in 2022 and um, have a four-year-old, almost four-year-old daughter. And so my story is I don't, I don't have any connection with my biological family. Um, And I think through my teen years, I compartmentalized that draw, that, that um, void of not knowing biological family and just let it sit there into my adulthood. But then I started attending um, adoption camps um, when I was about 20 or 21 and had a blast with those, met a lot of other adult adoptees and really enjoyed the time around the other um, adoptee kids and really saw the value in attending the camps year after year both as a role model and as someone who, it was cathartic. It was very rewarding after every time I went to a camp because it always felt like I was telling my story too. And when you tell your own story over and over, you process it better. I think you move forward with some of those traumas of adoption um, in in a more healthy manner. I mean, of course, therapy is always an option. I, I have been in therapy a couple of times in my life. Um, so speeding up to now, um, we haven't had camp for two years. And I've had um, a biological daughter of my own. Now, since I didn't have any connection with my biological family, my parents, um, I never had, other than at camp, I never really had anybody to mirror um, I didn't have anyone who had to walk that line between being a Peruvian fully because I met other Peruvians, but I was never hundred percent Peruvian. And then I grew up in golden. So all my, all my friends were white and all the people that I knew were white and there was really not a problem. They welcomed me in, but I, I knew that when I walk into a, a room it wasn't on their mind, but it was on my mind that are people looking at me? And I think as I matured as an adult, I realized people don't think about you as much as you think they do, (laughs) but still being Brown in a white uh, suburbia area was, um, it was something that was a self-conscious about. Yeah. So fast forward to having a toddler, an infant that shares my genetics. It really kind of, um, some people call it breaking out of the fog, but it it um, it kind of kicked kickstarted that process of maybe I do want to look for biological components, or maybe I want to have a little bit more connection with my culture in Peru. Um, so that's kind of where I am now, and um, a lot of a lot of these things as being a, a dad of a, of a little girl have, 
it's just kind of, it, it makes me look back at my own childhood. What did I feel like I was missing? What do I want to make available to her? Um, and I think this is a very common thing with parents anyway, but as an adoptee, international adoptee, um, I'm kind of trying to balance like where are my emotions causing decisions um, to go one direction for parenting? And then where am I allowing myself to analyze it and, and just make a decision based on parenting and not just how I emotionally felt when I was uh, being raised. So that's that. hopefully that is a good jump start for any questions you might have for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Carlos. I think definitely you kind of talking about showing up in a, white, a predominantly white space as a person of color can be very challenging. And then I just, I can't imagine that added layer of now I have a biological kid, but that lack of cultural mirrors within them and like educating um, our next generation on kind of what their culture is. Yeah. Uh, and I'm still, I'm still kind of torn at how much culture I need to surround her by. I, I'd rather surround her with culture rather than trying to stuff it down her throat and make sure she follows um, things that I force on her. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I think that's the uh, best way to go about it is just like, oh, look at this space that we're in with all of these um, brown people. I think gr having grown up in a predominantly white space like you, you kind of lack that. And like, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, but I growing up really had the hungering for um, racial mirrors for people that looked like me for those black spaces. Yeah. I think um, <clears throat> one, one thing with being a parent, since I, it's my first kid, I didn't know. And I had known some other adoptees that their first kid and the first biological component of their life was that first kid of theirs. I haven't talked to them enough to know if it's common, but I got the feeling um, at least in my situation, I, as an adoptee, feel like I've developed pretty high awareness of empathy for others and being able to step into somebody else's shoes when they're explaining the hardships in their lives. And so I think as a parent, it gave me a little more of uh, a sense of awareness when my infant became a toddler and I had to constantly um, address her needs. And, you know, as they're infants, they can't communicate. So just kind of verbally or watching them and, and physically trying to address her needs, I feel like I was more in tune to that than others um, being an adoptee. But obviously that might not be a special, unique. So situation. when you speak, when you say like, as an adoptee, I was in tune to it. What do you mean? Like, what about you, your experience caused you to be that Well, way? I believe that when she fussed, uh, it triggered me. And I wanted to 
be there for her however she needed. And I felt, I think I felt a stronger reaction to that than her mom did, um, than other parents I've watched. Um, but I don't know if that's adoption component or it might just be me as an abandoned infant have a very heightened sense of awareness when it comes to a baby upset. Cause I know there's wonderful parents out there who don't like it when their kid cries, but I feel like it kind of triggered an emotion deep inside me that I didn't understand. So it made me really try to solve this need that, that my daughter had. Wow. Wow. I really appreciate you like kind of processing that. That's really interesting. Never, I never really thought of that. Glenna, what about you? Yeah, I, uh, I just want to thank you, first off, for speaking so vulnerably about your experience. Um, I was also adopted um, and from a, like a closed adoption setting, so I also don't have any relation to my biological family or knowings about their existence. Um, and I really am impacted by what you said about your daughter and being more heightened and aware mm-hmm. of her feelings and her when she cries or anything like that. And the way that that shows up for me, I don't have a, a, a child, um, but the way that shows up for me, that heightened awareness is in relationships. And so I'm very attuned to dynamic shifts within relationships. And I'm wondering if, if you could talk a little bit about that if you're comfortable. I think my current relationship, my my marriage has hasn't had too many ups and downs, but there were relationships previous to being married that I got myself into a situation multiple times where I was very attached to the whole idea of me being with this one person. Now, to the point, to the point that I was blinded to red flags, I was blinded to um, compatibility issues. And I would always justify it, especially if things were going well. And then when they didn't go well, I felt like I was very good at self-sabotaging rather than being the bigger person coming out away from situations, fights or disagreements. I mean, I had moments where I was, you know, very calm and would step away. But there were other times where I felt like I was owed an explanation. I needed closure. And when a relationship didn't go well, it, it tore me apart to the point where I I would, I would lash back whether or not it was verbally or just my behavior. Um, I know I never have had any instance where I was physically lashing out towards anyone. Um, but it it was it definitely triggered me into a point where I I didn't stay well composed and during and I guess I'm speaking directly as to breakups just didn't go well so um, I think it also on the front end it didn't do well didn't um, bode well for me that I kind of I think in the commonality is adoptees like to be chameleons or fit in. They're good at fitting in and adapting or listening to their surrounding groups. And 
don't voice their opinions. So people, it's easy to make friends with, with others. And so I think when I started dating people, they thought I was amazing because I, you know, I would just agree with whatever they wanted to do, whatever they wanted to um, say. And I would keep my opinions to myself. So it was easy to get a relationship started. But if it was healthy for either one of us, that came out obviously later. And I think I got myself into trouble by just um, having a knack for being a good friend and listener at the beginning of any friendship or relationship. Yeah. Hopefully that. You have any other questions regarding that, uh, that side of things? Cause yeah, there's, I've gone through a lot of relationships. Mm, yeah. Well, I honestly, I'm kind of amazed. <laughs> um, that we have very similar experiences as I'm sure a lot of adoptees do. Um, and I'm wondering if, so seeking therapy, was mm-hmm. that kind of a, a result of, of that? Cause I know for me it was. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I think the biggest instance I had was in 2009. So that wasn't too long ago. Um, I did seek therapy on the back end of things to try to, to try to just reground myself and, and develop more self-worth because, you know, at the back end of a lot of relationships, I always took it out of myself rather than the other person. Um, but therapy, when I say I've had a therapy a couple times in life, I'll rewind to when I was, when I was five, we adopted another uh, sibling for me. Um, I was from this mountain town in uh, Sequanee, Peru, very high. I think it was 11,000 feet almost. And so we adopted this little sister when I was five. So I was no longer an only child and she's also Peruvian, but she was less than a year old. And we found out just a couple of years into her life, she started getting really sick. Um, Her mom drank alcohol when she was pregnant. So she ended up with fetal alcohol syndrome. And so the last two years of her life, she was in and out of the hospital. And so I was nine when she passed away and she was almost four um, at that point. And so right on that, the end of that, um, my parents had therapy for me for a year or two uh, because I just, I didn't know how to process loss very well. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I have uh, childhood stories from <clears throat> elementary school that people have told me I was a bully. And I think it was around that time just at school just was lashing out and not being very kind towards others because uh, I didn't know where to place all these emotions. So that was my other experience with, with therapy. Um, But I do think, I don't, I don't think anyone is above therapy or some, something that's beneficial to their, them confronting themselves. So if it's journal writing, if it's um, any sort of, challenging fears I, I think that's helpful um for me some some of the fears were, were public speaking and at camp I got opportunities to talk to high schoolers I got you know I was doing that as well it was coaching outside of camp but camp was really it became and maybe a lot of others 
have told me that it's similar. It became almost a magical place where no other place I'd gone in the world existed that was quite like that. I walk in after a year away from camp and you just feel like this is family, even though you don't know everybody's names or you have to relearn them. But it's family because you recognize the smiling, you recognize all the other families that surround you, and you all have very similar um, parallels. So I, I do believe camp was a replacement for a lot of years of therapy for me because I got to talk about these issues over and over. Yeah, and abs absolutely. And be able to like process with people that understood and just like that common um, level of, hey, we're all, uh, we're all adoptees. We've been through the trenches together. I can like feel your pain the way that you can feel my pain. So I really like yeah. naming that. Yeah, I remember my first year or two at camp for this Latin American camp. So it's, we were up in the mountains um, near Winter Park in Colorado. I remember being part of the middle school group as a counselor and we started opening up in a circle and back then the group was small. So it was easier for me um, to speak about my, my sister passing away, but I remember breaking down into tears and then coming after coming out, out of that on the back end, you know, crying in front of a bunch of middle schoolers um, on the back end of that, realizing how strong it made me feel and how supportive I felt, even though there were all these young kids in front of me. Um, and so year after year, it got easier and easier to talk about the hard, the hard parts of my life. And so now I, now I hope that kids at camp get to at least express um, themselves in the same way. Yeah, that's incredible. I think that's really neat to hear how that's changed for you and how camp has helped you um, kind of rekindle your relationship to your emotions and uh, grow through your emotions. I think that's really admirable. Um, and I hope that I can have a similar experience at camp. This will be my first summer going to, to camp, so it's exciting to hear your, your progress through it. Um, I'm wondering about if there's anything that is like consistent that you deal with in terms of your adoption, especially regarding like your emotions. Because I know for me, I tend to have the exact same issues resurface and resurface. And mm. I'm wondering if you share that experience. Um. I heard another adoptee talk about this recently and it, it really kind of, I, I agreed with it because it, it put a word to what you were just saying. For me, it's, um, it was something I think behavior of mine, it's like being lonely and, and it's a weird kind of lonely. It's like, it's, um, it's almost as if I'm always seeking out something outside of where I'm sitting. So at the end of the week, for instance, I'll hang out with my daughter all week. And then my wife comes home and we hang out a little bit on the weekend, but I'm always yearning to get out of the house 
to go hang out with friends. And I think it's, it's because I'm never, no matter who's surrounding me, wife, kid, best friend or other friends, I always feel like there's something missing. And when I say lonely, it's like, um, it's just an unfulfilled side of me. And that's, I haven't addressed it, but it's something that always comes up. You know, I look back on, on uh, wanting to always be social with some, a group of people, but never seeming to be the best thing ever. Always, always wanting to have more. Um, and so lonely, that might not be the perfect word for it, but I, I saw some um, justification when, when I heard another adoptee mention that, that they sometimes would feel distance from the people closest to them in life. Um, but they didn't really have any explanation for it. And so for me, it was, it's kind of like that where I have my daughter who I will, I will admit on occasion, um, you know, I look at her and I, a tear comes to eye cause I, I don't want her to grow up. I don't want this, this cute part of her life to end. I don't want to ever forget how she is right now. But then like a couple of days later, I'll be like, well, you know, she's, she's getting on my nerves and I don't necessarily, it's not like I don't want to be around her, but I need a break from it. And, um, and then I see that with everybody in my life from one point to another. And so I'm, I'm wondering if that, if it's just that I have this unfulfilled, lonely part of me, and it could relate back to when I was an infant being abandoned. I don't have any of that mother, the, uh, biological mother connection, or I don't have that connection deep down inside of me to my biological family that I watch other people enjoy. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure if that's what it is, but that's what I feel um, is a resurfacing behavioral emotion that comes up. Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Um, and I think, I mean, that that's really helpful for me. Um, and hopefully other adoptees coming from similar situations to, to name that is, is really powerful. So I really appreciate you speaking about that. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Carlos. I think that's really interesting. Um, all the different pieces that you touched on primarily um, that um, overwhelming feeling of loneliness. I think that, that was really interesting because I think I kind of resonated with that depending on what space I'm in. I'm always wanting that space separate um, and to be connected with others. Um, however, for me, I find that after that, those levels of connection, I do get like fatigue from being uh, around too many people. But I think definitely wanting that socialization is a, a huge piece of my life. I frequently these days have to pull myself back because I will, I'll take on more than I have time for. It's, it's hard for me to say no certain things. And I mean, one example is I started doing movie nights in my neighborhood um, just so I could build the 
community up around my daughter better. Um, but then it, there's all these avenues that leads to like, now I'm a community leader that meets with the city of Arvada and the other leaders and tries to plan more for the, the neighborhood, but I really only want to do the movie nights. So it's, it's kind of adds on. And then um, I just got back from San Antonio where my grandfather had a bomb squadron reunion. And this is my adoptive grandfather, obviously, but I grew up around this man and World War II vets. And all of a sudden they looked at me in the room being one of the youngest and said, can you help us carry this, this uh, tradition forward and getting together with um, families of vets? And I, I said, yes, but do I have time for it? We'll see. We'll see. So anyway, it's just hard to say no. Some context for the next part of the podcast. Carlos's daughter hopped up on his lap and we were able to say hello. Hello. Can you say hello? Hello, tiny human. So this is this is my daughter. What's your name? Can you say? We call her Miss K. Her name Hi, is Miss K. So nice to meet you. She's being shy. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. I hadn't thought about advice, but since I'm middle-aged adoptee, uh, I could I could say to the younger adoptees out there and parents of adoptees is I think I think it's important to understand when we fail or stumble that that there are physiological things about adoptees and the trauma that we experience, whether or not it was as a young kid or as an infant, that kind that kind of make us more volatile to things that go wrong in life. And it's it's important to understand moving forward from anything that you feel like a failure at or any any life speed bump that you don't take yourself um, too seriously and don't come down on yourself too much because non-adoptees make mistakes too and, and life goes on and there's always more time and if there isn't more time at least it's it's better spent working working on your future than it is dwelling on too much of the past so i think the biggest piece of advice would be to to learn to forgive yourself when when you fail absolutely well thank you so much for being here with us carlos um it was a pleasure to have you well thanks for having me both of you and uh i've been enjoying listening to what you have been putting together on the podcast thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode we will catch you on the next one <laughs>